Hey everybody, you've reached the Mayfair Podcast. I'm Eric. And this is Josh. It is Tuesday, May 30th, 2023, and we are joined by our pal Lee DeMarb today. Hola. Yay. <laughs> Yay, Lee's here. That's Spanish. Dog. There's another dog, too. Sugar Tits is here. The best, <laughs> yeah, from the Sugar, hit movie. Edge of the Drag Dragon actor, Sugar Tits. She's on INDB as Sugar Tits. That's incredible. And I just... Does she have her photo up and everything? No, because that costs money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing that. I guess I could, maybe. I, I don't know. Can I attach a photo to... I'd have to... I think she'd have to be INDB Pro. Right. If she's in the Dictos movie, then I'll pay money. I'll spend money on it. <laughs> you know that Lassie... Lassie's a collie, and my dog's a collie. Lassie Lassie was in the John Wayne movie Hondo. She's painted black. It's what? the same dog. Lassie is, I think it, Lassie's a female in the movies, but a male in real life. And I forget the dog who played Lassie, his real, the original Lassie's real name, but it appears in Hondo. Hondo's dog attacks Native Americans in the movie. Uh, and the woman, there's a woman living in the cabin all by herself in Hondo. And John Wayne said, I'm going to go off. My dog will protect you. She'll keep the Native Americans away. How did you train a dog to keep Native American away from your property? It's like, well, I hired a Native American for six months to wake up in the morning and beat up my dog for an hour. <laughs> oh, so she's learned to hate them. And like, that's a whole scene in the movie. It's that's, crazy. And it's and, Lassie? And it's Lassie. <laughs> oh my God. I think in real life, Lassie just attacked the Caucasian actor who wore a wig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. didn't hire by real Amer- Native Americans back then. It's a crazy scene in the movie. Every story of an animal from i don't know before the year 1998 in a movie is just oh yeah horrible it's like they didn't care i don't want to know what happened to free willy i just watched <laughs> this movie it's not just animals i just watched this movie 40 pounds of what's it called 40 pounds of trouble with tony curtis it came out the same year as 1962 psycho okay so yeah, yeah. he was married to vivian lee and they had Jamie Lee Curtis together. And when Vivian Lee was off making this incredible film called Psycho, Tony Curtis produced his own movie called 40 Pounds of Trouble. And the, the trouble is this little girl that comes in. He's a gambler. He runs a casino. This little girl comes to live at the casino, and he has to deal with his 40 Pounds of Trouble the whole oh, time. No. But he's the hero of the movie, and he's supposed to be a likable character. The whole movie he spends running away from his ex-wife's attorneys because he owes $8,000 <laughs> oh to, his, to his ex-wife. He's got the money, but he doesn't want to pay her because he hates her, and he tells the little girl all this. And the whole movie movie is about him just avoiding <laughs> lawyers i'm like i hate this character <laughs> i love character. tony curtis but this way i love travis bickle even though he's a terrible <laughs> character but i hated tony curtis in this movie it's, it's funny it's fine i'm glad none of this thing's being censored because i i find great enjoyment watching movies that would never be made today yeah absolutely. it's like watching bugs bunny cartoons and seeing some during the war they made some ungodly <laughs> looney tunes yeah, cartoons some great ones uh, great quote unquote <laughs> <laughs> i just think you know it's 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 part of history it's yeah. tcm now introduces movies you know and says just so you know this happens in the movie there's warn people about blackface yeah. or whatever like that as long as they're not cutting it out i think it's it's, it's like, history they took away there's a couple of gumby cartoons that had native americans and they just took them off the dvd sets they just never put them out what kind of cartoons gumby oh gumby yeah really? it's like we're adults like you can't just it was like three or four episodes yeah they're bad now but it's, i want to be allowed to watch that like come on yeah the uh scab is never going to heal unless we put a band-aid on it watching some of these things is the band-aid we're never going to get better as human kind so we should end the show now yeah <laughs> I can only anyway. imagine the horrible stuff that'll be in the next Lee DeMarv movie where you're oh. like, we got to put the Band-Aid on <laughs> just put all this awful stuff in here. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. No, I it. wanted to have you on. I want to have you on all the time because, one, you know about upcoming programming, and two, you talk about movies well, but... Uh, <laughs> but you've had... 
such a nice roller coaster ride since you premiered Enter the Drag Dragon here. Yes. Which is so on topic to Mayfair fans and patrons mm-hmm. that so often, like making a movie is so hard, getting a movie out is so hard, and often a movie will show a couple times and then kind of run out of steam. And die. And you've only had it out in the world for, what, a couple months? Yeah, since the end of January. And you've already screened it in the UK. You're going to California. India. Yeah. Oh, God, India. Two two screenings in Mexico coming up, which I'm really excited about. And what's the other one? Italy. I'm getting it subtitled now. Oh. Um, And the cool thing about going to LA, I'm going to Los Angeles uh, in three weeks for a week to show my movie at the Glendale Theater where The Room premiered. Oh, funny. uh, It became what it became. We're also screening Jesus Christ Vampire Tears screening that same week on a rooftop outdoor screening part of this Lucha Libre. They show Lucha Libre movies on the weekends. So they've already screened Jesus and it was packed and they're doing it again. It's like, oh, I'll be there. On the roof? So is it just like folding chairs in a screen? I think so, but it it looks really cool. Like It's it's a jam-packed thing. That's what it seems to look like to me. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they changed the venue, but the last time I looked, they were screening on the rooftop in Los Angeles. What's it called? It's a Lucha Libre movie marathon that happens throughout the year in California. Yeah, I don't know. I'm excited to go to that. I want to go to that so bad. My best friend lives there. He's going to go to the movie for sure, but I keep being like, God, I should really go up. I mean, Lee really needs me there. (laughs) (laughs) Go to be there. There are people coming who are in the movie. Movie, just yeah. you should come. I was, like, I want to. Judy's coming. Judy was in camp. Oh, she we were, goes everywhere, man. Yeah, she's married to a wealthy man right now. So, nah, okay. Uh, <laughs> And yeah, so Natalia is going, and you know, Sasha Gray is coming to see wow, the movie, so we can hang out with Sasha Gray Incredible. and Greg Sestero. And I'm, I don't know if I want Tommy Wiseau to come see my movie. <laughs> That'd be the hilarious. He would take over, oh, he would yeah. grab the mic from you. Do you ever watch a movie with him? Like, not the room. I watched her with him. Okay. I, Tommy Wiseau, Greg Sestero, and I sat in the balcony and watched her together. I'd seen her about three times by that point, and I loved it. Throughout the whole movie, Tommy hated it. Tommy was just <laughs> like laughing. instantly hated he, he was hating it. He was like, oh, Greg, this is so bad. But <laughs> laughing and pointing how terrible it was the whole time. And it was really, really, really embarrassing. I can tell Greg was so embarrassed. He kept looking over at me. And I wasn't enjoying the movie because he wasn't enjoying the movie. And I just don't know if the director of the room should be griping over other movies. I was going to say that, but like, you know. It was it was funny, but I'd hate for him to do that during my- I know he would probably, oh, he watched Enter the Drag Dragon and think oh it was terrible. But like, why are you in this movie? It's oh my terrible. God. <laughs> yeah, anyway. So don't watch something you want to see with him, basically. You have to already have seen the movie. Yeah. <laughs> if it's your first watch, you're not going to be able to hear everything. <laughs> That's it's... right. Tommy, go sit over there. Oh, God. But I'm trying to find out other screenings happening in L.A. There's a screening of a David Hess film, House of the Edge of the Park. Oh, yeah, yeah. I Classic. don't have the balls to show here. Well, I wouldn't have the balls to show. Josh would divorce me. <laughs> wow. I'm makes, not familiar with this it one. It makes it just The Last like... House on the Left look like okay, uh, I got you. Romper Room. There's a scene. that Okay, so let me paint a picture for you. Okay. I was celebrating my year. I was married in 2000. And in 2001 to celebrate a year being married with um, Cheryl (laughs) (laughs) we we went to Florida we actually went to visit Herschel Gordon Lewis at his home it was the first time I went to his house and there was a really cool video store in Miami it was all painted black it was in this cool house and someone's like if you're going to Miami you gotta go to this place they have all the best DVDs it's like you know the coolest it's like the odds and sods of Miami or the the Bay Street video of Miami this really cool badass and they had all kinds of horror and gore and violent movies and movies you couldn't find anywhere 
and I went in on a Tuesday. What's key about going in on movies at video stores on Tuesdays is that's when new releases come mm, out. True. So you can go get all the new ones. And that Tuesday, for the first time ever in North America, was the home video release Shriek's show, I think, put out House of the Edge of the Park, the David Hess movie. And I was just dying to get my hands on this movie because I was in love with David Hess movies and I heard so much about it. And it's directed by Ruggiero Diodato, oh, Cannibal yeah. Holocaust. And I went into this really cool store and everything. And it was one of those stories you had to be cool to get in. And I went to the guy at the cash. <laughs> He's a big heavy guy. And I'm like, did you guys get House at the Edge of the Park today? And, and he had all the new releases on the, on the counter. And he looked at me and he's like, we don't carry movies like that. Oh, <laughs> and, wow. And I remember walking back to my car even more hungry to oh see it. I was even more just thrilled to find this movie that this cool-ass video star wouldn't carry because their standards are higher than And that he knew about instantly yeah. without even thinking yeah, without about blanking. it. And judged you <laughs> also <laughs> instantly. And that, it's that DVD, actually, that made me want to make a movie with David Hess. He seemed like the most brave actor in the world because on the DVD, he, is, he does a 40-minute interview about what it is, the things in Hollywood that actors don't tell you about. You know, a lot of times in movies when you're watching a sex scene, the actors aren't acting. You know, and, and just these things he said about acting, no one would have the balls to say. And, I, and, and as he did scenes, the House of the Edge of the Park and Last House on the Left, and he had those scenes with women, he just said, you know, like, by the time we get to set, it's so comfortable, you know, to do a scene like that with your partner because, you know, you're, you're, you're best friends by that point, mm-hmm. and it's not, it's not like it is perceived in the movie. Like the scene in Irreversible, Monica Belushi, was that her husband in that scene with her? Uh, I think so. Yeah. So I mean, it's it looks it looks so despicable yeah, it's on the big screen, but if you're on set, it's not so much. Yeah. And it's also ten seconds, twenty seconds, yes. moving cameras around. Yeah, but I imagine there's also the opposite of that. I'm sure since some of those scenes are awful. To oh see. yeah, you hear the horror stories yeah. of why Hollywood is the worst place in the world. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I just loved hearing him talk and say things that, you know, just talking about other actors and actors he worked with. And he just seemed so ballsy and saying things. I think people often do interviews on DVDs or in the media. And it's all sort of on script. And yeah, they have to, sure. you know, homogenize. Uh, Barry's out now. Yeah. And I love Barry and I love Hater. Yeah. But he's saying all the same things in all these different interviews. So you yes, kind of get yes, in this. Yes. And here David Hess was just pontificating about the business. And I was like, whoa, this guy's great. That's like I listened to a movie podcast years back and it was interviewing Tom Cruise and Tom Cruise very charismatic and cool talking about movies and very nice to everybody he wasn't throwing coffee in anyone's face but then you see just a very innocent question and the host talked about it in the weeks after they just said what's your favorite movie which anybody could answer even when someone asked me that, I kind of backpedal a bit because I'm like, I might have a different answer two weeks from yeah. now, but off the top of my head, right now I'm saying... Cannibal Run. Exactly, yes. <laughs> Another stakeout. Maybe, maybe Cannibal Run 2. But Tom Cruise wouldn't answer. And he got really weird about it, like he was being asked a controversial question. Really? But then they theorized in the weeks after, they said he was so nice and he was great with everybody, but anytime we asked him something that just somebody might get mad at him about, like Uh. say if he said my favorite movie was Jaws, and then that would mean that- Richard Dreyfuss is canceled. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, like he was so careful about all his answers. I found that so interesting because here's a guy a little bit opposite of David Hess, like a giant mainstream movie star but still like that was still kind of tiptoeing around things instead of just answering a simple question like i like this movie david has and 
Tom Cruise have something in common, though. They've both been to the Mayfair. Mm, That's true. Absolutely. <laughs> Where we are right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was it a recent interview, an old one? Uh, fairly recent, like maybe five, six years ago. I'm so excited for Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah. Oh, that yeah. trailer is outstanding. So Tom Cruise is 75 years old. Is he? No. What? No. Okay, I say that exaggerating. Okay. But I, I tricked you both. That you but, scared but he's me. what? He's 65? He's, yeah. he's over 60. That much we're sure of. And he used to be an actor who would do drama, would do Born yeah. of the Fourth of July, would do Rain Man. Now he's just doing Mission Impossible movies. I think <laughs> working with John Woo changed him. I could be wrong, but I don't notice him doing much of that hair raising action before Mission Impossible 2. And he hasn't done a Magnolia in a long time. Right. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. He kind of makes me think of John Wayne in the fact when I watch later John Wayne movies, it seems like he's thinking about his legacy. He's thinking about how he wants to be remembered in movies. Yeah. And he's got maybe 10 or 15 years left to make the kind of movies he can make right now. And Tom Cruise is there. You know, he's like, I'm not going to win an Oscar. I don't need to win an Oscar. I'm going to do something on camera that maybe a lot of my peers can't and make my audience happy. I don't need another million dollars. I just need my audience to expect something out of me and I'm going to deliver. And I love that about him. And I love that about uh, John Wayne. And yeah. you know, I just like people. What is that? The twilight of their years where they're just thinking about their legacy. And, you know, Jackie Chan obviously is there. And there's not a lot like outside of Tom Cruise, who else has that kind of oomph about him or her? And old Michelle Yao. Oh, yeah. Of yeah. She, you know, I'd like to think Tom. I'd love to hear Tom Cruise say, good as I am. I'm no Michelle Yao. I'm no Jackie Chan. Oh, yeah. I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> but can you imagine like go back? When was Mission Impossible 1? 95? 96? In our wildest imaginations, yeah. going, yeah, in 2023, there's <laughs> going to be another one, and at least one more after that. We would have thought, oh, maybe a trilogy or something, but that he's just... I like Brian De Palma's original. Oh, yeah. But it's, it changes after 2, because in 2, he started doing things in front of the camera. Even John Woo couldn't look at the monitor. He's like, oh, he God. does that scene on the cliff at the beginning. Yeah. I think that cliff stunt changed everything. And I could be wrong. I'd love to hear him talk about it, but he wouldn't answer my questions. Yeah, well, Brad Bird talked about his Mission Impossible. And that's why I love Tom Cruise as well, in the terms of his filmmaking, is Mission Impossible 3 gives this guy J.J. Abrams a shot because he really liked his TV stuff. Yeah. And look what happened since then. And then Brad Bird, who was an animation director but yeah. did great stuff like the incredibles and iron giant but once upon a time i don't think a director could slide over to doing a mission impossible right. movie after doing a cartoon right and, and then it was he so got, good too like, yeah like and three and four and then he got Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bradford, no, wait a minute. That <laughs> yeah, fell through. Yeah. He was supposed to do Force Awakens, and he did, um, what was that Clooney space movie? Tomorrowland. Yeah, oh, he did that instead. That, that seemed that like a good idea at the time. Most people have. Well, it's pretty wild. Christopher McQuarrie basically changed Tom Cruise's later career. Yeah. And that sounds like they just, to see them collaborate, like they basically... It almost exclusively work together now like they did live die repeat uh, together i think That's as well a good one. yeah and it's just like their late period it's kind of wild he wrote usual suspects i think if i'm not wrong and then he did the way of the gun which nobody really remembers benicio del toro and other guy nobody remembers ryan philippe and it was okay but i kind of thought these guys kind of just drop off a cliff some of these writers like they have a big movie and then they're just sort of around but this guy hooked up with tom cruise but also for the, last the early years. mission impossibles was brian de palma john woo J.J. Abrams. Yeah. And Brad Bird. So four different people. And then after that, Chris McQuarrie all the way. Yeah. yeah. So clearly something happened there. Yeah, and he was writing and directing, I'm pretty sure, all of them. He had just been a writer before that. I was, I really, I liked his work, but I was like, man, this guy really took off. And I still haven't seen Top Gun, just I haven't gotten around to seeing it's it. It's not very good. No. I didn't like it either. <laughs> but I don't know. Everybody lost their minds, and I was like, I gotta it's see that sooner fine. or later. Like, it's a it. movie. I don't know. <laughs> I don't hate it. I watched it twice. Yeah. I just don't love it like I wanted to love it. I think because all of us other movies recently have been really well done yeah and yeah, yeah. it's just yeah it's just 
another Top Gun movie. No, it's no, it's better. I like it better in Part One. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like it better in Days of Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Color of Money is still my favorite though. I still, I just love that movie to bits. Yeah, just I still remember coming out. My dad's like, we're gonna watch The Hustler first. So the Hustler was on. Uh, who's that guy? He's Elway Yost. Yeah. Elway. He showed it and introduced it once, and I just love the idea of gentleman sports mm-hmm. and, and that can go on for more than twenty four hours. And Paul Newman introduced me to Paul Newman, and yeah, and I went to see the Color of Money at the Vanier Cinema. Ooh. I was young, took the bus My out. House, man. God, I loved it. Yeah. And I still do. We were talking about time. Oh, so do you know the movie The Clown that shot in Ottawa? Yeah. That horror movie, The oh, Clown? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know who the writer and director of that is? No. So they went on to do three Spider-Man movies. That guy, yeah, and yeah. And now they're doing Star Wars. Oh, I didn't realize that. They're not Ottawa filmmakers, but they came here to make this rinky-dink little horror movie. And now they're doing Star I Wars. I didn't realize it. Skeleton Crew. Skeleton Crew, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. he did Cop like, Car as well, I think, Cop with uh, Kevin Bacon. Oh, that's right. I yeah. really like that that's movie. That's a good movie, yeah. We should, didn't we premiere that movie here? I think so, yeah. yeah. Kevin Bacon owes us a lot. Yeah, come on, I, Kevin. I, I forgot <laughs> that that was made here, Clown. As I know, like, Eli Roth produced it. The posters were like, Eli Roth presents. And so, so uh, many people were like, oh, new Eli Roth movie. I was like, no, 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 no. Put, <laughs> put respect on that other guy's name, who I can't remember right now. <laughs> but, but he does exist. Okay, so, Enter the Drag Dragon. Yes. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. How long, is it tough? How long are you in the trenches of film fests before right. you go i want to start working on that next movie well i met with the writer last weekend to discuss cool we're working slowly on a blow by blow excellent and a blow by blow is something you can get in vanier or if you work (laughs) with a writer you can get it done basically i want to agree on the bullet points what happens in the movie step by step Mm -hmm. before we start working on a script because i don't want to waste his time writing a script that we're not going to shoot like the last film (laughs) (laughs) although it worked out but still (laughs) so we're going to agree with not only with him and me but the star of the film yeah so i'm not in a rush to start it i'm not in a rush to release enter the drag dragon on vod yeah yeah. i'm just having fun with it theatrically as long as i can everyone keeps asking when can i have a copy I'm actually getting Blu-rays maybe before the weekend. Oh. Damn. Just to test and look at. And that might be Christmas gifts for the cast and crew, but... Like Eric. Yeah, you see? You see <laughs> right <in the> here. <laughs> I, I don't know. You blink and you'll miss it. You know how much the first six Blu-rays are? Seven, I'm spending $700 just the first six. Whoa. But that's the first batch, and yeah. then after that, it's authoring and it costs so much money. It's okay. crazy how much money it's it is. It's almost like getting an acetate record made to make other records off yes. of that first record. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Sometimes I see some of these Blu-rays Blu-rays coming up by Vinegar Syndrome and whatnot and how much packaging they're putting in. Some Blu-rays come with posters now mm-hmm, and lobby mm-hmm. cards. They're like, how come this is only $40? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could in my wildest dreams. I'll try to author a disc at this range. And anyway, so yeah, Into the Drag Dragon is still a theatrical thing. It's the Top Gun of 2023. Totally. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it's got legs so far. Yes, it's got legs with fish stockings. Uh, yeah, they're very sexy legs. <laughs> Are you doing audio commentary yeah, and all that fun done. stuff? Uh, yeah, oh, we did the cool. comment. So the Blu-ray has an audio commentary that was recorded a few weeks ago, a 45-minute documentary on the making of, and 15 minutes of deleted scenes and 15 minutes of bloopers. And yeah, it's loaded. Yeah. I'm trying to think, is Eric in the Blu-ray? I think maybe. Well, we had that one clip, you know, that I won't spoil. Oh, you know. well, that's on the out. Okay. So your construction human centipede scene <laughs> is on the Blu-ray. <laughs> it's hard to describe to people who weren't there, but you know, someday. It'll be hard to see. It'll still yeah. be hard to explain. It doesn't make it any better. Yeah, seeing it, I'm still confused. <laughs> but it's on the Blu-ray. So you didn't waste your time no. being asked to ask with the, your friends from the Mayfair. Yeah, it never felt weird. <laughs> never. Yeah. Yeah, no, that'll be good. And uh, so what's next? We go to California. Uh, yeah, I might slow down after the Cineplex. So Cineplex is showing in 10 different cities nationwide, coinciding with Pride Weeks. Did you know Pride Week wasn't like one week everywhere in Canada? It's different weeks throughout the Oh, the, I didn't the know that. Country. I don't know why they did that. Like Christmas is December 25th everywhere. But Pride 
It's in different cities at different times. I wonder, I don't know what why that is, but anyway, we're going with the flow. Yeah. And so it's in Regina this weekend. It'll travel across Canada with pride celebrations. It's so weird that we have to be nice to Cineplex while yeah. you're screaming. Only for another, until the fall. <laughs> Temporary collaborators. Yeah. And after that, no, bitter enemies once again. No, actually, my friend Tim, when I started here 15 years ago booking movies, Tim worked for MGM. He was my booker at MGM. And then MGM folded and he went over to VVS films and he started up at Cineplex and I swear to God he put me in contact with someone at Cineplex that would allow me allow us to have our film released nationwide through Cineplex and then I went to Toronto and I walked into Bay Street Video which I have to go every time I'm in Toronto and there Tim was ah. he just happened to be there oh, man. Uh, running into that guy everywhere. so he's now the programmer at Cineplex and Cineplex is getting into the distribution deal heavily so they're releasing a lot of their own movies now I think that used to be in the early days of Hollywood 20th Century Fox Warner Brothers they all owned their own cinemas and they government of the United States of America said that's too much of a monopoly you guys have going you have to let go of the cinema owners so chains were formed but now the distributors got back into distributing at least their own movies and owning their cinemas but I want them to notice and I hope they, they did I hope Tim noticed this that Sisu played for two weeks at Cineplex theaters was taken off the screen because they made it available to their streaming service I saw Sisu at the Silver City I was the only one in the theater this week and we showed it and packed the place yeah so I hope they know they think after two weeks Mayfair still kills it with these movies I continually have a rose-colored glasses glass half full view on this because that keeps happening over and over again where we will get something like Sisu that is on TV that has been at the multiplex and do really well with it and I think it's because we have a nice loyal fan base and we don't have to sell 2,000 tickets a night Right. So yeah, I hope that trend keeps going. I think what's attractive about having a film like that at Cineplex is they can show it four or five times a day. We yeah. show it once a day, but we still with one screening will do better than their five yeah. screenings. Yeah. It was just like Mandy. It was the same thing. It was yeah. playing like South Keys and I'm sure they got five people maybe. And then yeah. here it was packed yeah. two, three days in a row. Almost. And people always ask us, there'll be some, it's those one night only, two night only things, but often it'll be some really cool stuff, a Godzilla movie or something. And people will always email me and be like, are you you guys showing that i'm like we can't it's through a different distribution they're only Fathom going to the or whatever it is exactly yeah, yeah. yeah we hate them so frustrating neil breen called me okay oh. last weekend and so he wants to do a one night screening at the mayfair at the end of august okay, okay. because he wanted to do it we're gonna do it next week i said the university students are gone do you want to wait for that crowd to come back is yes Lisa, let's do it the last weekend in august so there'll be a screening coming up we have to confirm the date yeah i'm waiting for him to call me back from his landline in the trunk of his car uh, what's that feel like him calling you is that well, that's gonna really be surreal He's really nice. He's, yeah. he's really like, I don't know, he's a jovial fella. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. I, but I, I have now three or four different landlines for him. Every time he calls me, it's from a different number, and I have to <laughs> oh my update my contacts. But I know the next time he calls me, it'll be from a different number. So we're showing this way, and he's convinced it'll be a sellout. He's like, he won't. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And so the thing about it, too, is that uh, he wants to show it off Blu-ray. He won't do DCP because he thinks it'd be easier to get Blu-rays out there. I'm like, well, some crummy theater owner is going to bootleg that on you. What's anyone going to do with a DCP? If I gave 1,000 people in Ottawa a DCP, CP copy or movie, they're not going to be able to do no. anything with it. Yeah. Blu-rays are easy to rip. And, yeah. And then he only releases his movies on DVD. That's what do I was going to say. Doesn't he never do Blu-rays? Just for theatrical. Okay. So he himself has like personal copies 
probably yeah. of Blu-rays, but and I had to send it back. Yeah, okay. Wait, he only makes DVDs because he's afraid people will bootleg the Blu-rays and have HD copies. But DVDs, I know nothing about bootlegging, but I can bootleg a DVD. Well, yeah, that's uh, so Blu-rays weird. I can't touch because it's too much content. It's on a disc that doesn't feed into any machine I have. But DVDs are so easy to just plop in and take the VOB file off. Mm. And DCP is just you know who's going to be able to manage that? Yeah. So it's almost like he doesn't understand the industry, but <laughs> at the same time he does because he's made these movies movies and they're killing it yeah. you know he gets sellouts and you know he's like Tommy Wiseau if Tommy Wiseau you know had more stories to tell than just the one and didn't he instigate which I think is logical where he was like he didn't want to be on a midnight slot he wanted his movie to be only at nine yeah. because he didn't want to be seen as a midnight movie right. so that's interesting too yeah I think Tommy's a little bit like that too I don't even know if Tommy has noticed we're now showing the room earlier yeah yeah they don't like those labels it's so bad didn't you talk with Tommy and Neil within like a day of each other about their upcoming projects yeah but Neil was on the phone Tommy was in an email and Tommy oh, okay. goes by the name of Raul it's not <laughs> it is Tommy but he's pretending to be someone else oh my god and Neil is Neil but he's <laughs> on a, a different w- landline every time that will probably his phone explodes at oh midnight my god. and seeing his movies <laughs> you, you totally understand why he would have multiple landlines and different is he really the guy from the movie who's yeah. like suspicious of everybody <laughs> yeah it's really enjoyable yeah it sounds like <laughs> it's more fun than booking from like Disney yeah well cause like they don't have people like they don't have a secretary calling right, you so, or yeah. you're just dealing with the yeah, filmmaker even, even like Kaufman has people yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's like if Stanley Kubrick called me to book Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> yeah. Another Tom Cruise classic. Yeah, it is. It's great. I love that movie. I want to recommend it to my daughter, but I don't want her to think I'm weird. She loves Stanley Oh, yeah, Kubrick. I wouldn't want your daughter to think you're weird. <laughs> I think she'd really like She loves Kubrick, but it's, you know, I kept my dad recommended this movie to me. Yeah, yeah, this weird sex I film. Still recommend, I remember I used to work at West Coast Video, and I recommended my friend came into West Coast on his first date with a girl, and he still drives me crazy about this. He still, every time I see him once a year at the cottage, he's like, you remember that time you recommended Damage to me? <laughs> I love Louis Malle's Damage. Yeah. I love Jeremy Irons oh. in the film. I love Julie Bonouche. And the of sex course. scenes are really violent. And they're not, it's not, none of it's like... Sexual violence. Yeah, no, it's like, you know, it's just, they're really heavy and intense. Mm. And it's supposed to be a metaphor for a relationship <laughs> because Louis Malle's an important artist. And yeah, this is course. the stories he's telling. I thought, I love the music. I love, I love it as a film. So much. Repeatedly watch it. I recommend but I never thought there was, yeah, no, it's not a good first date movie. He wanted to walk out of there with When Harry Met Sally and oh, you gave him yeah, damage. Damage. It's, it's a went... third date movie, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, it makes you laugh thinking about it, but it was a mean thing to do. It's God, awful. I want to watch Damage tonight. Yeah. <laughs> it's like second date Serbian film. You're like, yeah, this is fine. It's fine. <laughs> That's not a good first date movie. No, no, second no, or third date. Yeah, best. Okay, so let us briefly mention the movies that we are screening the week of Friday, June the 2nd, 2023. A couple of new films. First one up is called When You Finish Saving the World. Kind of a mother-son movie with Julianne Moore Ooh. and that kid from Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. I was here with my nieces the other day uh, for cinema and then they were like, oh, it's the from Stranger Things. And I was like, I trust you. Like, I don't, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that. Oh, really? but I was I like, is Stranger that Julianne Things. Moore? Like, I yeah. went the other way with it. I was like, yeah, she's great. And it's directed by uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Is it? Yeah, okay. I think it's just a very New York Lex Luthor. Right. The only thing I remember him from, you know, like. <laughs> That's what he wants to be remembered as. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. Did I remember he reading Facebook? About this. 
yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. He sure did that, that too. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny. Like, you booked all these things, so you should know that they're good, I'm assuming. They're all so good. We only show good movies. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. <laughs> all right, sorry. <laughs> no more mediocrity. Damn shame. <laughs> the other new one we have this week is Chevalier, which mm. is, I'm not sure the exact year it takes place in, but it's a true story about. 1985. <laughs> yeah, 85, yeah. <laughs> a black composer in French high society dealing with all the horrible things that I'm sure he would deal with oh, in God. such a thing. It's won a few awards, and it's one of those kind of slow burn indie films with the central characters getting high praise a guy named kelvin harrison jr he's the next big thing okay and it's based on a true story is it or it is it yes. is okay i thought it was but i didn't want to look like a fool yet <laughs> or sound like one you're on the yeah, radio exactly. i mean they know what to expect at this point <laughs> you're not on television here uh. <laughs> then we're kicking off a couple of june film festivals oh we have the bird with the crystal plumage so good that might be my favorite Argento. It sounds yeah. like crazy to say, but no, like... those first three, no, the first four, yeah. we couldn't get four flies, but his early movies, he was doing lots of drugs. That's why they're so good. Ah, yeah. there it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a great one. Pure Jalo. Yeah, I think it's Cat and Nine Tails was the same year, I think. Is it the same year? Well, or close? Yeah, they were maybe released in the same okay, year. Okay, yeah. Different, but yeah, that makes I mean, yeah, he came out swinging and he co-wrote Once Upon a Time in the West. Dario Argento started off like like Orson Welles, and he saved George Romero's career. You know, gave us Dawn of the Dead, basically. So I mean, and Land of the Dead. Yeah, well, his daughters and Land of the yeah, Dead. Yeah, yeah. So it's like basically without him, we'd have nothing. <laughs> we'd have much. nothing. Yeah, it's true. It's Man. true. He produced Demons too, didn't he? That's Lamberto Bava. Did he? Pro- yeah, you're right. He, he did produce it. it. Yeah, that's right. So good. Another great one. I just talk about movies that are great. For that's a good, horror, good horror movie yeah. set in a movie theater. Especially when the blind guy gets like jabbed in the eyes. You're like, he was already blind. <laughs> now he's got demon jabbed in the eyes. Come on. And for those who might not know, how would you describe giallo? What does giallo well, mean? Well, thank you for asking. It's a good, So giallo is Italian for the word yellow. And a lot of pulp novels in Italy, before they started making these movies, were printed on cheap paper stock. Okay, So yeah. all these novels are coming in and they were yellow. So they started calling the, the page, because the pages are yellow, they started calling the genre of all these thrillers giallo because it's all the shitty paper stock. So when they started making movies that reminded people of these books, they continued the giallo, the usage of that word. It basically is the Italian film noir. It was all of a sudden there was this era in Italy where filmmakers were making fantastical murder mystery gore pictures. You know, it's like Scooby Doo meets yeah, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, <laughs> and it and they all have that weird thing where they're all dubbed. So they were shot without sound. Without sound. Yeah. And so. so they all have that feel of a drive-in movie because they're dubbed. But it's that weird thing where I forget who said this quote initially, but they were like, oh, sound ruined movies because then we had to move around boom poles. And so, yeah, so they didn't have to worry about any of that. But it does have that very distinct sense well, you guys, Josh and Eric, both uh-huh. were boom operators on True. Enter yeah. the Drag Dragon. And so without having that person on set, it's like a writer. They're not needed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> without having a sound operator on set, you can move quicker with the camera and get interesting shots. So those early days of Dario Argento and Liberto Bava and Jules Fulci and Jess Franco, because they weren't using sound, they were getting really great, interesting shots that American horror films weren't getting. So all of a sudden, eyes 
movies all over the world were looking at these Italian movies. They were a lot, they were so visually striking. So the worst, some of these movies don't even make sense. The Beyond is an incredible horror movie. I don't know what's ha- going to happen next in the movie because I can't follow the yeah, story. Yeah. But it's gorgeous to watch. <laughs> it's so like good. Apocalypse Now didn't make any sense. I remember watching, it was something movie. recently. It was, might have been Grand Hotel here at the Mayfair. And there was two people sitting at a, a dinner table or at the hotel table. And it was so clear that they were both talking into the, the flowers. Market. Yeah. <laughs> and that there was a microphone hiding in there. Mostly Grand Hotel has a lot of grand shots, the huge set. But yeah, there are some moments where I guess they have to sit the actors down in front yeah, of the yeah, microphone. Yeah. yeah. So sound just ruins movies. <laughs> Sadly, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I I liked having you involved in the movie, but I hated yeah. you being there. It's <laughs> true, true. Well, I made those Harry Knuckles movies and Jesus Christ Vampire with sound, and we just kept moving. And now you have to say, okay, uh, roll camera, roll sound, and then they have to talk back to you before you're saying action. If you just have a camera, go. You don't even say action. It's like, go, 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 yeah. go. And that's the kind of movies they were making in Italy and in Hong Kong in the 80s, right? They were doing the same kind of movies in the 70s and 80s in Hong Kong up until the 90s. They weren't using sync sound either. Rumble the Bronx kind of ruined it. That's when they started trying to make more movies with sound. And their movies got less interesting visually up until a point until they got used to using it. Right now, Ben Bird is listening at home with a single (laughs) tear. Ben Bird's a genius. There's an Oscar every time he wakes up in the morning. (laughs) And the last movie we have this week is Mad Max, kicking off our Mad Max marathon, showing all four films throughout June. Because one person from one of the movies died. Because poor Tina Turner. (laughs) And the the rest of the four movies, too. I was like, how come I showed just Beyond Thunderdome? Oh, shit we should show them all and Fury Road Black and Chrome right I've never seen that that's really cool and my wife didn't even know they did that and I was like yeah because he had originally wanted to do it in black and white hadn't he or am I well they read the, the story goes that he was finishing Road Warrior and have you ever seen a composer work on a movie in the studio with L Street or wherever they are recording their scores? They project the movie on a screen. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they give them a shitty black and white version of the movie so they can mark it. So they can take a grease pencil and mark the cues. Okay. You know that cue that tells projections to change from one reel to the next? Yeah, cigarette It's the like same kind of thing. They draw lines and that's where if the line goes off the side of the frame, that's where the next cue happens. Hmm. So you don't have to watch the conductor the whole time. The conductor can look at it. But it's a shitty black and white. And George Miller loved looking at Road Warrior in black and white and never forgot how good the Mad Max movies would be in black and white. And when he hasn't said this part out loud, but I'm assuming Mad Max Fury Road was released in 3D. It was post-converted in 3D. He didn't mm. shoot it in 3D. And it was a really shitty process yeah. that went through. He probably hated it. I remember that, yeah. It's also very... Fury Road's one of the best films of the century. Oh, so good. But it's also very saturated which goes against the whole idea of the wasteland. And so I think by taking out the color, it gets back to a truer idea of what, how he wanted Warner Brothers to release the movie. Unfortunately, Warner Brothers wanted to set, make more money at the box office, so they post-converted it to 3D. So I don't know. He's never said it's a director's cut. It's exciting to watch it without so much bells and whistles. And because so much was practical, they shot so much of that on-set practical stunts, it doesn't seem practical when you have it in 3D and it yeah. looks like it's all CGI'd. Black and white makes you appreciate the stunts more. Anyway, Tina Turner died. Yeah, yeah. There's that too. I, was, I like the idea of these black and white. Josh and I have talked about it before, like when they put it the mists black and white as a Blu-ray extra, and like I supposedly Frank Darabont had wanted to put that out, and obviously the studio was like, oh no, you know, right. like audiences balk at it be black and white, you know. But it's like such a cool, like they even did Johnny Mnemonic as a black and white release for, and I'm, I didn't watch that one, but 
It's funny. Sometimes when I'm watching a black and white movie with my kids, I remind them it's not that old. It's not like one of these old movies from the 20s and 30s. They were making black and white movies in the 50s and 60s. Color existed since, you know, the 30s. When filmmakers were shooting in the 50s and 60s in black and white, it's because the cinematographers and the directors said, no, this should be in black and white. So it's more, you know, a lot of people found that it was more timeless. And, you know, a lot of people didn't like a lot of the Technicolor things that were coming out. So it was a choice filmmakers were making then. Now it seems like it's it's a hard choice to make i've heard sometimes it was a cost-cutting thing too it was right. cheaper to oh. get black and white they were like wow i can't afford colors three, <laughs> three strip technicolor the camera of a technicolor camera is three strips of 35 millimeter camera running through it all at once they have one on display at the academy of motion picture arts and sciences museum in los angeles the camera that shot wizard of oz Whoa. and the gate it's open you can look inside and seeing the three gears inside that ran the telecolors it's really nice part of the museum i can't believe they made movies like that <laughs> talk about you know having my camera uh, actors talking into a flower pot you know moving that camera around and getting the shots you want must have been really hard well these four movies are neat too because the first one's a little no budget b picture then the second one they got a bigger budget the third one is a little bit more kind of hollywood mainstream it has kids in it has tina turner in it has different directors has a big theme song like a hollywood movie yeah and then the fourth one kind of out of nowhere becomes both a big hit and wins a bucket full of oscars so that's a really weird progression that the fourth movie is the one that gets (laughs) a bunch of awards and they're filming part five right now are so, they right now? Yeah. yeah somewhere in the Finally. world, Furios is being shot. And it shows you how hard it is to make a movie because George Miller went through hell yeah. to get all these movies made yeah. over and over again. Yeah. And the reason why there's such a big gap in between three and four isn't because they weren't trying. It's because even after the success of Fury Road, it took another decade for him to get the next one made. The Iraq War slowed it down by a decade. It was he crazy. He was all ready to shoot at one point. He wanted to shoot in some deserts. In Africa, there was no roads long enough in Australia, <laughs> and the Iraq War like didn't allow that to happen for some reason. They couldn't go and shoot this movie overseas. That's what I understood back in the day, and it, and then Fury Road went off so long. And but apparently, he has the idea for three movies. That's crazy. So their prequels being shot right now. Yeah. At least Miller got to do uh, Happy Feet one and two in between those movies. So you know he's, he's George not Miller hurting. has the craziest career where it's like Mad Max movies, Babe, Happy Feet, <laughs> and a few other thrown in here and there. It's ridiculous. I'm glad he's alive. And making movies he's a senior citizen directed theory yeah, what is he like 74 That's crazy. or something like That's he's crazy. older than i think i'm like how are you doing because yeah fury road was what three or four years to make or quentin tarantino's like making his he's about to make his last film because he says it's a young man's game filmmakers like george miller proves that wrong and and robert altman clint eastwood yeah or scorsese geez yeah clint eastwood well, clint eastwood what was the last one the mule the mule yeah it seems like it was directed by a senior citizen yeah <laughs> see that's the thing like you hit a certain point where you're like all right you know like they're not all gonna be good like. but george miller has no signs no and you're not slowing down either Thank you're, you. you're like a solid 45 years old i believe it was you can't tell watching my movies that i have hemorrhoids no or no, like all right yeah <laughs> Yeah, you can tell a lot about you watching your movies, but not that. (laughs) And then one last thing you mentioned this week, it'll probably be sold out by the time this podcast gets posted or close. So get those advanced tickets. But Saturday Morning Cartoons is back for its 27th round. Holy. And the last three or four times we did this, no kidding, there was 10 tickets left on the day of and turned away dozens of people who kind of looked shocked. And I was like, yeah, it's the most popular thing we do coming this Saturday. And I've chatted with the guy. This is actually the Lost program that we were supposed to screen in March 2020. Three years ago. Three years ago. But I've chatted with him and it looks like he will have a program for August, another regular program, then a Halloween special, 
and then a holiday season special. Man. So we may have three more before the end of the year. People say, oh, you should do it every week. And I was like, oh, oh God. my God. Theoretically, oh. sure. But it's nice to have that little break in between, you know, keep that anticipation up. But yeah, always one of our Mayfair fan favorites is the Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah, that's going to be good. We love money. So those sellout <laughs> shows are very nice. <laughs> so that's it. So that's the movies that we... we... love money. <laughs> sure, right. We need that. We have to survive. We're only with Cineplex for now. What we about sell... power? Power's good too. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. We want that. You've got that. You know, you got all these sellout shows. I assume they're all selling out for uh, Drag all Dragon. All of them sold out. Every one of them. It's insane. Yeah, I don't Yeah. It's I have stops. to go home and polish my Rolex. Yeah, right. <laughs> so let's end this. I'm Must kidding. Must be nice. <laughs> so that's our movies for the week of Friday, June 2nd, 2023. You can always check MayfairTheater.ca and social media stuff for really up-to-the-moment bookings. In the upcoming weeks, we're going to have a bit of a head start because... I'm going out of town and Lee's going out of town. So Lee right. has a couple of weeks pre-programmed. So I'm going to get as much work done as I can before I have to and leave. Do you have any questions? Eric is taking over. Eric's right. taking over. Yeah, I'm answering everything. Start filming that movie for you while you're gone. No, it's not good. Dick toes? <laughs> I think Elliot lives near me so we can get started. I'll do my best. Get those does blow he? by blows. Yeah, I don't he does. Know. Yeah, he does. And we're going to wrap up because Ahsoka the dog wants to go outside. Oh yeah, true. And we've got people on the roof fixing our air conditioner. She's signing autographs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Hey, they're up on the roof like Drag Dragon. Whoa. Like that, that bit, you know. Yeah, so more plumber's butt than Drag <laughs> Yeah, you know. It's, it's not quite the same. Okay, thanks for listening, everybody. And Lee, hopefully we'll have you back on thanks soon. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll see fun. you soon at the Mayfair. Uh, Bye, everybody. Bye. I'm hoping that you can meet Nick Cage when you're in L.A. and get him to be in the next movie. That's the one thing missing. I thought it was me, but no, it's Cage. It is. It's true. <laughs> in the not-too-distant future, There will be no civilization. There will be no heroes. They say people don't believe in heroes anymore. Well, damn them. You and me, Max. We're going to give them back their heroes. In the not-too-distant future, there will only be madmen. And the main force patrol. Max is a main force officer. Trying to protect his family and stay alive. Mad Max, the maximum force of the future.